Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg, and I'm joined by my co-editors, Chris Schutte and Greg Mitchell. We are recording this on Thursday evening, so we'll tell you a little bit about what's happened this week, um, what is to come, and everything in between. First, we are going to start with what was probably the biggest game in the mid-major world this week, and that was Liberty's win over Lipscomb. That one came on Wednesday night. It was a revenge game for Liberty. If you remember a few weeks ago, Lipscomb thrashed them uh, on Liberty's home court. And that's really the night that we started talking about, you know, is Lipscomb an at-large caliber team? Um, Well, Liberty came back, returned the favor. They are now tied atop the A-Sun. And you have to wonder, because we know that if you're in the A-Sun, your margin for error is really, really slim. Is this the end of Lipscomb's at-large hopes? Does it just make it significantly more difficult? Where do the Bison stand right now? The latter. <laughs> I, th- I think it's something you always say. Like it's You don't want to close the door immediately right as it happens but like you said it makes it significantly tougher and there's really no margin for error from here on out yeah and i don't know that they have like like tcu is obviously a really good win um but i don't know that that has legs to at the end of the season i i don't know that tcu is going to be ranked i assume they'll be a tournament team but it's not like that win is 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 going to continue to improve um I guess the same would go for SMU. Um, so, you know, it's not like they've got kind of one laying in wait there that that uh, could help them more at the end than it does now. Right. And and we've kind of litigated their at-large resume on this podcast already, and we're probably going to do it again. Um, it's not changing. We know what the good wins are. They still don't have any really bad losses. Liberty goes down as a Q2 loss. Um, I think the biggest factor might just end up being the perception of the program and the perception of the programs that it's beaten and lost to. I mean, is the committee going to look at say Vermont as a good win uh, at Liberty as a good win? Um, Is it going to look at those two losses to Belmont and see them as what they are, which are, I believe those are Q1 or Q2 losses. Um, So not really, what you would call backbreakers. And, you know, Chris, to your point, they now have no margin for error because their remaining four games are Kennesaw State, Florida Gulf Coast, NJIT, and North Alabama. Um, Any loss uh, to any of those teams is going to go down as a truly bad loss, and that would probably put an end to it. But as as of now, they still have the resume to be in the conversation I think, and the net still really likes them, which I think is another factor. Yeah, and this bubble is trash. I feel like we say that every year, though. No, but this one's bad. It is. I'm not arguing against it, and that's something that could potentially play in favor of not just Lipscomb, but other teams from mid-major conferences that are trying to sneak in. Right. I think they're at a hard spot here if you're trying to uh, navigate these last four games because, 
I mean, the the majority of their wins in conference have, have been a blowout. So, I mean, obviously, they're, right. they're heads above everybody else. But they've got three of the four here on the road. Now that there's, you know, I don't know if they're talking about an, like the at-large bid. I'm sure a Casey Alexander and the team would say they're not. They're just focused on the next game. But they, they have to be, right? I mean, there's no way they're not. That, that has to be on their mind. And, you know, they know as well as anyone that there's no margin for error. Now they've got three road games. Um, that's, that's just a hard thing to navigate there. Whereas you said, any loss there, and it's, I, I think it's over. There's no, uh, there's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, he, here's also an interesting component to this is that let's say that Lipscomb and Liberty both win their remaining regular season games. And that's something that both are obviously favored to do. Um, they'll finish obviously tied atop the standings with one loss each. That loss was to each other. And in that scenario, the tiebreaker, as we were told by Patrick McCoy at the ASUN offices this week, would be the net rankings. And, you know, I mentioned the net really loves Lipscomb. That could give Lipscomb the edge right there. It's interesting to me that home court advantage in a hypothetical ASUN championship game where the winner goes to the NCAA tournament um, it could come down to a metric that hasn't even been in use for a full year yet. I'd like, and this may be something that a certain website could report on. I'd like to know why it, it, it I find it, I find it very interesting that that rule is there right away. Like, is this, is this, is this something that they revisit on a yearly basis, uh, tiebreakers? And they just said, Hey, let's, let's just uh, throw this in there. It just seems, it seems strange. Like you said, that it's completely, I mean, it's complete unknown. And yet here it is with a lot writing on it. Yeah, well, they used the RPI last oh, year. Oh, okay, I got you, I got you, that yeah. makes sense, yeah. Okay. So so at least that part of it makes sense, but it, it still sits a little funny with me, um, knowing how high the stakes could be, and knowing that we still don't really know how good the net is. Now, the, the other side of that, of course, is is what we've been talking about on this podcast several times before, which is that whether or not this is a good metric is kind of irrelevant because this is what the NCAA has decided it's going to use. So if the NCAA is going to use this as a standard, then the conference might as well. I don't know. That makes sense. But might I suggest the midmajormanus.com, the other top 25 as a tiebreaker? Your, I mean, weekly, I would support average that. weekly position. Hmm? I mean, there, that we could like, there are some conferences that, you know, they seem to like us. Let's pitch it. Uh, the ASON does like us. I'll, I'll give them that. I don't know if they like us enough to make us their tiebreaker, but I, I would like that. That's a, little, a lot of responsibility for, for some of us. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're I, mature I've enough. I've been on record that. as saying I'm easily, I can be easily swayed when it comes to rankings placement. So I, I have been easily swayed. <laughs> <laughs> you thought we were getting checks before. Just wait until until this yeah. happens. We're getting checks from yeah. everybody. Listen, uh, teams, if you're listening and you want favor in tiebreaker situations, <laughs> uh, just find me on Venmo, and we will see what we can do. <laughs> um, so, so here's a question I have about uh, Liberty, which um, you know, first year in the A Sun. This is obviously at at 11 and one now it's been a huge success uh, coming from the big south um i think i think that's a story in and of itself uh if if ucla was like a top 25 team if they were you know up there in ken palm instead of just 
just completely falling off the face of the earth. Would you guys, would there be an at-large uh, case there? With- Two-bid A-son? <laughs> That's my question. It's, I would still lean no. Um, and, and here's why. They're, they're 22 and 5. Three of those wins are against non-Division I schools. So for the purposes of the NCAA selection committee, they're 19 and 5. All right. They have a loss to Austin P, which on a neutral court, Austin P is not terrible. I don't think that's going to be a Q2 loss. You could correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, I believe they would only have the win over Lipscomb, and I guess UCLA, maybe. It's I could talk myself into it, but it's more of a stretch than it is uh, for Lipscomb just because Lipscomb also has SMU in addition to TCU. Yeah. And I know SMU isn't great, um, but it's still a road win against a major conference team. And again, I think some of this comes down to perception. Um, like, and, and, you know, it could work out maybe in Liberty's favor because UCLA is probably, even though we all know they're trash, they're probably still going to be perceived to be better than they actually are in the eyes of the committee. It's it's a much, much tougher case to make. I don't think it's very likely, but I could see why you would want them to at least have a have a seat at the table for that conversation. Yeah. I think it's been huge for the ace zone that they've been as successful as as, as they oh, are because no it's question. Not, I mean it's not it's not like they were uh you know, I can also ran in the Big South. Uh, they were a contender right. there in the last few years, and and with you know FGCU rebuilding, North Florida still kind of rebuilding. Um, I mean, it's been it's been good for the conference that you have a great team like uh, Lipscomb that hasn't just like uh, been able to walk away with it. At this point, yeah. Uh, even and, though, and going, even though if I would say, I mean, obviously, even though if a Lipscomb could again and isn't at large, that that would be tremendous for the conference. But I think you know, if we're being realistic, it's it's nice that there's that there's some competition there. So the the A Sun has actually as a league been incredibly successful over the last few seasons and I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves other than Liberty Lipscomb this year. Obviously you have Florida Gulf Coast. I know they're rebuilding this year, but that's a perennial contender. North Florida's coming off a couple of really good seasons. NJIT has completely turned its program into a contender, has one of the nicest facilities in you know, low major basketball. And then North North Alabama, its very first season in Division One, they're not very good, but they're competitive in that in that conference for a brand new team. I mean, the A Sun as a conference is in a really good spot, I think, with these nine teams right now. Well, one of the interesting things I think about the A Sun is that they've kind of served as like a feeder conference for for some of these like some of the better teams that we cover like belmont was was a member of it earlier in the decade um northern kentucky started there mercer east tennessee state have made the jump to the socon and and like you said i think to have you know a couple programs like ellipscomb or a florida gulf coast and even now liberty that you know consistently bring it every single year and you know even if you're having just two guys or two teams in the conversation for like and that large bit, I think that's if you're like a, a coach or a commissioner in in one of these like traditional one big leagues, I think you'll take that every single year. Hundred percent. And 
Like Liberty's chance for an at-large bid might be 0.1%, but at least it's that. And that's, yeah. that is something for this conference. Yeah, I mean, there could be a discussion on them. It might be a very, very brief one, but the discussion. But the fact that it's being had is exactly. incredible. Yes. Do we know if they have a lot of like, um, are there, I just assume that they have good uh, investment and uh, resources. Is that, do you guys know anything about that? That, that uh, Just because the kind of unique school they are, I assume that there's some advantages there, but I have no idea. I I honestly couldn't tell you. I would tend to agree with you without having any evidence whatsoever to back it's that zero up. Zero facts to, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just a, yeah. So, I mean, that's good for them. I mean, NJ, I, a T just uh, built a new arena, right? Yeah, so, and it's so beautiful. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some, there's some uh, programs there with, you know, there may be potential, there may not, but it, I mean, there's, there's some, uh, there's some, some possibility of teams ascending there, which is, yeah. which has to be exciting for them. Yeah. Um, now, in the last podcast we did, we were very West Coast heavy. We're going to stay on the East Coast now. Um, talk about a player who we've really liked for going on two years now, but the national media is sort of just starting to meet. Uh, and that's Chris Clemens, who made some history on Wednesday, became, I believe, it was the eighth leading scorer all time in NCAA history. 5'9", guard, bucket getter, um, and, he, and he is just one of the truly outstanding seniors around the country that uh, that mid-major college basketball has. How lucky are we that we have had the opportunity to watch Chris Clemens with Campbell fighting cam- camels? He's so much fun. <laughs> just watching little dudes get buckets at will is just the absolute best thing. <laughs> And he's fun, especially because he's kind of like ripped, even though he's a small guy, you know. So it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the the crafty guy who's just like he's a good basketball player, and that and that's obviously what he is. But he's also got like uh, muscles on top of muscles. Yeah. So I enjoy that. <laughs> that's how I look, by the way. I know you guys have never met me. Oh before, yeah, no, I person, look. But I look that's like how that too. Yeah. So you'll yeah. see. Yeah. He does it like relatively efficiently too. And, and, you know, with some of these these guys that put up outrageous scoring numbers, some of it's on, you know, inefficient volume. But he's shooting almost 47% from the floor on almost 20 attempts per game, um, 38% from three, 85% from the line. I mean, like, every night he's he's getting buckets from all over the court. Yeah, he, yeah. he uh, draws a lot of fouls, and he doesn't uh, turn the ball over either. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. All right. without looking how many games of at least 40 points do you think he has had this season look with eight eight games of 40 points i would i'll go with three just because i know that he has had three Ooh, i'm on i don't come on the podcast often but i am on fire right now yeah i was going to count that up in his career for his career i i knew that i didn't have that kind of time (laughs) I I would assume the 48-point game against Hampton on Wednesday was a career high. No, he had 51 against uh, UNC Asheville in the 2017. Uh, All right, was that in the tournament? Yep, the Big South tournament. Hit That's the game 14 where, threes. That was the game where I, I quote-unquote, discovered him for the first time. Yeah. I was watching that game at work. I, was I remember say, that. I think, I think that was an afternoon game, right? 
Yes, it was. I don't know why I remember that. Yeah, um, because I I had it on, and it was like like the the Big South. I think is the first tournament that has like weekday afternoon games every year. So like I had it on because there was nothing else to watch, and I wanted to watch postseason basketball. So I was watching Campbell. I'm like, who is this little guy that's just getting buckets? And it just like turned into a fascination for me, and he's like been a favorite ever since. But I, I forgot that that was a fifty plus point game. It it kind of sucks that he's never had the chance to do it in the tournament. Yeah, uh, he could have a chance this year, right? Yeah, I mean, like he's absolutely the type of player that could yeah. just get hot I mean, for three game stretch and carry him to the yeah I, to the conference title. I think I think Radford's probably the runaway favorite in the conference, yeah. uh, and they're fun too. By the way, uh, like Ed Poli is a I don't know if that's how you say his name, but he's a fun player. Um, so that it'd be fun to watch them play as well, I guess. Um, so Clemens is one of those guys, and hopefully we get to see him in the tournament. And you know what? Even if we don't, you know, there's going to be, he's probably not going to, he's five nine, so he's not an NBA player probably, but he's going to get a look like in summer league. And you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a game where he just goes off and yeah. like all of NBA Twitter gets to see him. That That'll be fun for him. Yeah, and then we can do the whole hipster. I knew about yeah, him first. I knew about thing. him first. I, I had that moment today because Deadspin wrote a piece about him. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, come on. You, you guys are two years late to this. Yeah. Come on. Uh, another guy in the senior class, a similar mold, just can get buckets like no one's business, Justin Wright Foreman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's done it for a Hofstra team that is, first of all, significantly better than Campbell is a team that has lost only once since Thanksgiving. Um, And he had a 48-point game himself last week against William and Mary. Uh, He's one of those guys. I've seen Hofstra play a few times this year. Um, You know how, like, sometimes there are big men who, if you, you hear about them before the game and then, you see them, and without even knowing like their jersey number or whatever, you know exactly who they mm-hmm. are on the court. Justin Wright Foreman is that, but he's a six-two guard. Like you don't need to know his number, you don't need to know what he looks like. You could tell who he is just with the way that he handles himself, with the way that he takes control whenever the ball is in his hands. Like he, he will. You are not going to stop him once he decides that he's going to score. It's really amazing to watch. Yeah, and he scored at least 20 points in 19 of the, I guess it will actually be 20 of the 26 games now because he had 30 tonight against Charleston. His season low on the year is 14 points, and that was against Rosemont, which is a non-D1 and a game against Manhattan that I'm assuming they won by a million. I would hope so. Uh, Manhattan then one eighty to fifty. Yeah. So it and that's like that's one of the things that I love about covering the teams that we do is finding these guys that are just putting up insane numbers night in and night out. And especially yeah. when a a team like Hofstra that's in the midst of just an absolutely fantastic season, just have a guy like Wright Foreman that puts on a show each and every night just kind of makes it appointment viewing. Hey, remember when no one else knew about Mike Dom? Remember when like that was our thing? 
that was you chris i mean you were that that's all you right yeah there. i wrote a i think one of the very first like not very first pieces but like the first like interesting piece i thought i wrote was like early in his sophomore year about how some he was like kind of on the nba radar and then yeah like i've probably written about him more than just about any other player and rightfully so he's closing on on 3000 points as well and he's i think the thing that makes him fun is that he's a 6-9 big man that is among the best shooters in the country but he can also just give you buckets down on the block he's we say like a guy like Clemens can score from anywhere on the floor Dom can also do that it just looks a little bit different which i think is is what makes him so fun yeah yeah i mean you're definitely the mike dom authority i think the only thing left for dom like that one unfinished piece of business you got it. he's got to win a game in the tournament they've had opportunities yeah and the thing that sucks uh for them is they last i checked bracket matrix they were like a projected as a 15 seed and they, they just don't have you know like the those really good non-conference wins that kind of help them bump up to that 13 or 12 seed line that they've been on in years past. Uh, do you happen to know what their net is? Uh, I can pull it up for you real quick. All right. Because so in the meantime, it, I can speak from experience that obviously they don't want to be a 15. That's, that's a bad draw. It's a hard draw, but I can speak from experience. Uh, you that can speak when, from experience. Yeah. When you, when you play, when you play a, a 15 seed that has an NBA forward on its, on its roster or in, in Norfolk state's case, a center, it's, it's not always the best draw for, for the number two seed either. <laughs> So, I mean, he's a challenge. Yeah, so I've got their okay. I've got their team sheet pulled up. They're 92 in the net. 0 and 2 in quad 1 games. Have not played a quad 2 game. Um they've got quad 3 wins against Grand Canyon, UTSA and then Northern Iowa and then um four quad 3 losses and okay, then the so rest not great. is quad 4, so. So, I think they're their best hope is like to have one of the from like a um like a Horizon League school like find a way to win the tournament and get slotted into like those fifteen and sixteen seats. So hopefully they can avoid those those yeah, top two. I, I had asked you what their net was because I was wondering if maybe that would be a little bit better than their schedule reflected, and that could be a reason why they might get better than like a fifteen seat or so. Um, but I mean, they've yeah, got really not. good, like the efficiency metrics right. are probably fantastic. But yeah, the strength of schedule is probably what's doing them in. I mean, it's it's probably, sorry, Greg, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, because last year they, um, just uh, looking back at their uh, uh, resume when they got um, a, a very, you know, the, um, you know, uh, much sought after a 12 seed. You know, they had non-conference wins against Iowa and uh, Buffalo, which were both uh, top 100 uh, Ken Palm wins. And then also got South Dakota, which was a really good team, uh, 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 two times in this in in the season. So that they had some weight there that they just don't have this year. All right. Yeah, and the Summit League's really down this year, so it's that's not doing them any favors. And they also, um, while we were recording this, lost on a buzzer beater to Omaha. Right. But o- Omaha, you guys are were saying, is surprisingly not terrible. Yeah, I mean they're. I think they're the second best team in the the Summit League. At least that's what their record says. 
And I mean, they they would have Trayshawn Thurman still, or would he have been gone uh, by this point? He would he would be a senior, right? Let's look. Where does Omaha? No, he'd, he'd be gone. Where does Omaha rank among teams in Nebraska? Two. <laughs> like I said, I watch Creighton. I watch Creighton three times this year, and they're always like about to beat a ranked team, and they completely fall apart. So in my in my mind, in my in my small sample size, that team's that uh, uh, that team sucks. So I'll put it. <laughs> Fair enough. And Tim Miles also sucks. A thing that I, I put this. <laughs> No, this is a perfect segue. We're we're very on topic because I think I put on a tweet. It was either last week or a couple weeks ago. It was just Nebraska head coach TJ Otzelberger. Yeah, that that just feels like a perfect fit. It does, not, um, and it not that you know it's a sure thing that Tim Miles is gonna be out, but he's. I think it might be a sure thing. They've, they've got a lot of work to do if he wants to to keep his job. Did. Do you guys listen to One Shining Podcast? Yeah. Because yeah. I listened to it for the first time today, and they were talking about this. Yeah. Um, so you you know where I'm going with this. They're pretty much sold on Tim Miles being done, and they suggested that actually Ty Lue might be the next head coach at Nebraska. Mm. Did he play there? Yeah. Yeah. And he's from Kansas City, or, or he went to high school in Kansas City. Speaking of Kansas City, Greg, talk about the ruse. Hey, it's a big win um, over over uh, 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 Grant at Canyon tonight, who, after I had written that they have a strong case to be the team to beat in the WAC, they have now lost three consecutive games. Um, UMKC, I mean, obviously, I follow them very closely because I live about a mile away from the campus. Um, they have been no stranger, and I just uh, tweeted this out, to the kind of surprise win at home over the past few years. Um, they've beaten Mississippi State at home, South Dakota State, New Mexico State, a Grand Canyon, and Utah Valley a couple times, all teams that were considerably uh, you know, on, on the bounce uh, better than them. So they've been a hard out at home at times. Um, it, it's, it's bad for Grand Canyon. I think you can – understand losing to UT, uh, UT uh, Rio uh, Grand Valley just because I think they're kind of a sleeper team in the WAC and they play a fast style, play a you know pressure defense no one else really plays in the WAC. So they're kind of a hard matchup and they've been playing well. You can obviously understand losing to New Mexico State, you know, even if it's at, at home. Um, then going on the road, that's that's three straight losses. And if you're a team that aspires to be what they aspire to be, that's not that's not what you do. So I mean, they they very well have the pieces that they could win in Las Vegas and uh, put this all to rest. But it's uh, they're fighting an uphill battle here. That has been your whack minute. Dang it! I thought <laughs> I was getting like a bonus whack minute. Oh, oh well, we we could give you another one later. No, I, uh, that's all I have to say about the whack. Is Grand Canyon fake good? Yes. Yes. Have been. They, they might be. be. I mean, I I think I the the first podcast I was on this year, my whack minute was talking about I was entertaining a world where Thunder Dan is not is not the coach down there, um, because even though it's a lot of crazy talk that from from crazy people we've seen on the uh, Twitter account that that are always you know obsessed I, with him, it's I don't know what you're talking about ex- exactly. It's I think it's kind of true that you know they're 
they they seem to underperform at times, especially offensively. Um, he recruits well, but I think if the longer the longer they go without breaking out again, New Mexico State that's a that's a that's a that's a mountain to climb. Um, but the longer they go without seemingly living up to their potential with a with a talent uh, on the roster, you start to think with all those resources, if you had someone else in there, I mean, is it would would that be a road to walk down? So. I mean, obviously, he's he's done a lot of good things for that program in their transition, but I'm not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's the uh, you know end all be all the savior. So that has been your whack minute. We we'll back, and Greg will talk about a non-whack team right after the break. And we're back here on the Mid Major Madness podcast. Greg, you wrote a story that went live today about Sam Houston State team from the Southland that commands our attention, hasn't gotten it yet until now, could be a potential tournament team. Tell us all about them and what the program is up to. Yeah, so so they are, they are now 12-0 in the Southland, which is their best start um, in the league in their history. And they, they've won 13 games overall, which is their longest winning streak since becoming a Division I a program. Um, you know, they, they've kind of been quietly very consistent under Jason Hooten, who has now been there nine years, I believe. Um, but as has been the case in the Southland, they've kind of played second fiddle to Stephen F. Austin, um, because they've, their rise under first, uh, you know, uh, their rise under Hooten has kind of coincided with the high points of SFA, um, you know, they went 15 and three in the conference in, I think it was let's see 2014 2015 uh, um, which usually that you would think that's gonna lead to a title it didn't because because sfa went 17 and won that year and that's that's you know they've that's a kind of been the story for them um uh, this year they've just kind of exploded since uh since that conference play began they have a uh defensively they played extremely well and that's sort of been there a calling a card under hooten um, you know, forcing a lot of uh, turnovers, um, things like that. But the offense, which had kind of struggled at the beginning of the year, has really started to uh, click. They they have a senior point guard, Josh uh, Delaney, um, who had been playing kind of as as I understand it, um, on and off in the spot at the uh, beginning of the year. I'm hooting, uh, turning the offense over to him at the beginning of uh, December, and um, that that's kind of uh, coincided with the rise. Uh, his a uh, twin, a uh, 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 brother, a uh, Cameron. Is is the team's uh, leading scorer, and it's um, that's kind of an interesting story because a Cameron had initially went to the Denver, um, so it, I, you know it seems like you always have these uh, twins at the same school. That was not the case initially. Now it is. Um, so yeah, they played really well. Um, they they beat Stephen F. Austin a few weeks ago at home uh, by uh, twenty two points, which was sort of an emotional win because you know at one point in Hooten's uh, tenure they had lost thirteen straight to them. And that's their wow. rival. So that's awful. Um, three times they've knocked them out of the Southland uh, tournament. Um, but I mean, as, as you know, a kind of emotional as a win that was SFA is not playing well this year. They're not, they're not their closest uh, competitor. Um, you know, Abilene, uh, a Christian is, is a second place team. And they, um, uh, they played last weekend. They won a double overtime game against them, followed it up by uh, going on the road. Uh, to uh, Texas A&M uh, Corpus uh, Christi and 
they want a close game there too. So they're, you know, uh, continuing to win. They've been consistent and, you know, that they seem to be the uh, team to beat there. Yeah. Um, sorry, Chris, were you saying something? I was just going to say that they picked a good year to kind of have their breakout year. Um, yeah. With SFA being kind of down and the rest of the league kind of being up for grabs. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't, you know, they were picked to finish sixth in the league before the year, I believe, um, which, you know, I think made sense because they had lost a first team all conference, a player in the front court. Um, you know, they had had some experience in the back court. Um, they've had a junior college uh, transfer step up in the front court and uh, play at, you know, what would seem to be an all conference level. So it, it wasn't a, a, a guarantee that this would be the year that that would happen. Um, so I think that kind of just peaks of the coaching staff and how well they've done. Yeah. Did, did you talk to Hooten for this story? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. So he's someone who's been at Sam Houston state for a while now, mm-hmm. and he has had some really good teams. They've just yep. never been able to break through. He's only had one losing season. And at that level, that's pretty impressive. He's been there since 2010, 2011. That's pretty yeah. impressive, uh, the amount of consistency that he's had. Uh, does he feel like this team is maybe even different from you know the 20-game winners he's had the last few years? There's something different about them? I didn't, I didn't ask him that um, specifically, but you know, he, he did say that you know, with the SFA win, because I had asked him if that, if that uh, meant more to him, um, and, you know, he was he actually gave me a, a, a candid answer and he said, yeah, it did, because they dominated us at times. So I think but, mm-hmm. but then he said for for the uh, team, I don't think it meant that much to them. I mean, they were excited, but they knew that there's a lot more to do here. So, you know, it sounds like they're locked in. Um, obviously, any coach is going to say that. But the fact that he admitted that for him, it meant something, I think, you know, at least for me, suggested that, hey, this, you know, this is a team that understands that, you know, you know, for them, it's not a fluke. It's, it's, you know, uh, this is who they are. So you know, it seems like they're locked in. Um, and, you know, it's just, as you said, it's, a, it's at that level, you think having that much success year after year, eventually you'll find your way into the tournament. Um, but it just hasn't happened. And I think, you know, um, Stephen F. Austin hasn't gone every year out of the Southland over the past, you know, a decade or so, but, you know, they've been the team to beat and it's, you know, now that that hill's kind of down, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year they break through. And, you know, uh, uh, they've been uh, uh, pretty good over the past really 15 years or so. Bob Marlin, who's at uh, Louisiana now, was uh, there before Hooten. And I think it was uh, kind of the same story with him. Um, Just, you know, a lot of consistencies for a a program that we probably don't talk about as much as we should. All right. So by the time this goes up, it'll probably be. Friday, we have a whole weekend of games coming up. It's not quite the loaded slate that we've had the last couple of weeks, but still pretty notable. Um, some pretty big contests in conference play. Uh, we'll kind of go around the horn. Let's get one game that everyone's looking forward to. Uh, Chris, I know you wanted to talk about Buffalo. Yeah, so so Buffalo and Toledo play um, Friday night. They, they're kind of the in that prime spot um, since there's not a whole else going on. Um, the reason that I'm intrigued by this game is one, I, Toledo is probably at least according to a lot of the metrics, the second best team in the Mac. Uh, but for Buffalo, it's going to be 
really their last chance for a Q1 win before mm-hmm. um, before the MAC tournament, if they even get one there. Um, Toledo's ranked uh, fi- number 51 in Ken Palm. They're a really talented um, offensive team. They shoot shoot the ball really well. They've got a couple really talented scorers. And Buffalo's kind of – they haven't been flying under the radar, but they've kind of just – They've struggled a little bit recently. They obviously lost that game to Bowling Green a couple weeks back. Um, they struggled for a half against Central Michigan and then um, held off an Akron team uh, the other night by six. So this this would be a really good chance for them to kind of come out and you know put their foot down and say that you know they're ready to kick it into high gear and, and get ready for for March and beyond. Is this the last realistic opportunity that Buffalo has to lose a game before the MAC tournament? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, they close the year with Bowling Green at home, but I can't imagine that they let Bowling Green pick them off again. And they've got a couple other road games sprinkled in, but I would definitely say that that this was is their most likely one to lose. Ken Palm has them projected to win by one. All right, uh, Greg, you are looking at the Valley, correct? That's right. We'll go. We'll go with Missouri State going up to Loyola on Sunday. Um, Loyola sitting at first place now at nine and four with a one-game lead over Missouri State and a few other teams. Uh, or and uh, I guess I guess it's it's just Missouri State and, and uh, Drake at eight and five. Uh, Loyola lost that game at a Bradley on Wednesday night, which would have uh, put them in a little bit better position for the uh, regular season race. You know, if a Missouri state can pull the upset um, on Sunday and they've been playing extremely well, they've won six out of seven now and are, you know, I think in a very strange league have sort of been the biggest surprise I'd say since a uh, league play began. Um, you know, if they win this game, they then have three of their last, Four games at home, including a break uh, on the final game of the regular season, um, which you know if things fall a certain way uh, could very well be for the championship right there. So I think I think this is a huge game. Obviously, if uh, Boyola wins, they're in a great uh, position to kind of rectify a a, a a disappointing non-con, if you can call it that. Um, so yeah, that's a game I I'll be watching. All right. As for me, I'm looking at the Atlantic 10, where VCU is going to play Dayton. Uh, we know that VCU was in the at-large conversation. I, I guess they still kind of are, but they lost a tough one to Rhode Island back on January 23rd. Uh, can't really afford many more losses. This one at Dayton is an opportunity for a really good win for them. Uh, the two teams met in Richmond back on January the 16th. VCU won that 76-71. Uh, this will be a revenge opportunity. Marcus Evans, 17 points in that game. Durante Jenkins, who uh, has he's only a, a junior, feels like he's been at VCU forever, um, had 13 in that game. I think that'll be an interesting one. Dayton is not a team that we look at Right now, I think, is a potential tournament team, and that is, frankly, because 
they lost every single one of their opportunities for good wins uh, in the non-conference. Their win over Butler isn't as good as maybe they had hoped it would be. So there's really nothing to their resume, and they are 16-8, and eight, which if you're in the Atlantic 10 in the state that the Atlantic 10 is currently in is not going to put you in the conversation. But nevertheless, I think Dayton is a pretty good team. Uh, so that will be fun to watch. And I think Dayton is also right now playing for that double bye in the A-10 tournament. They have a one-and-a-half game lead on St. Louis and Duquesne for that. Uh, that's pretty big if, you know, you, you knowing that Dayton's only realistic shot at the NCAA tournament is to get that auto bid. So that'll be just as big a game for them as it is for VCU. Uh, VCU and Davidson both tied at 9-2 and two in the A-10 atop the league. So that could also determine first place. And that, that'll be kind of interesting just in terms of a stylistic matchup. Um, I'm not sure how many people know this if they don't really pay that close of attention to it. VCU has a top five defense in the country. According to Ken Palm, they have the best three-point percentage defense. They're holding the teams to under 26%. Um, but Dayton doesn't really shoot the ball all that well from three, but they're second in the nation in two-point percentage. And that's largely in part to having guys like uh, – Josh Cunningham and Obi Toppin uh, download to kind of man the paint. Yeah, so it should be a good one out of the Atlantic 10. Um, and hey, we're only a couple of weeks away from the start of conference tournaments. This season has flown the hell by. Are there, um, without like having to comb through every standings, are there any races that can be locked up this weekend? Like I'm assuming like Gonzaga can probably if not this weekend, relatively soon can walk up the West Coast Conference, and the same probably goes for Nevada. Yeah, it's, I think it's still too early for that. Gonzaga has mm-hmm. a two-and-a-half game lead in the West Coast Conference with six to play. So there's still a little bit yeah, of a ways out from that. But, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that race is over. <laughs> yeah. When that. Uh, Mountain West, Nevada's ten and one. Utah State is nine and three. So that's a one and a half game difference. So you know nothing's going to be official for the next probably two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. But we're getting there. We're getting there. Think, we're getting. Sorry, I was just going to say. I think this kind of kind of is along the same lines. I think the most interesting thing from this weekend is just seeing how. Uh, conference USA shakes out and how that um, how that new scheduling ends up uh, falling in line. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. I think the regularly scheduled conference USA portion ends on Saturday. So once that's over, we're going to know kind of what the rest of it looks like. Um, If you don't remember. The groups that they're breaking this down into. It's going to be the top five, the next five, and then the last four. So as of right now, that top five would be Old Dominion, Western Kentucky, excuse me, UTSA, Southern Miss, and North Texas. Um, I don't, I mean, this was done in hopes of getting um, potentially mul- multiple bids to the NCAA tournament. That's not going to happen this year. But what it could do is give an ODU or a Western Kentucky 
a couple more opportunities at a Q1 or a Q2 game um, so that if they do make the NCAA tournament, maybe it bumps them up a seed line. Or maybe for a team like UTSA or Southern Miss, it gets them an NIT bid. So for that reason, it's going to be important. Uh, Another thing that I don't think people have really talked about um, with this new format, but it it is kind of big, is once those groupings are set, the top five, middle five, bottom four, um, you can't have a a seed worse than that in Mm -hmm. the CUSA tournament. So if Hmm. you're in that top five in CUSA, no matter what happens, you'll be no worse than the fifth seed. So that's kind of big, especially for a team like Marshall, which is six and six, and we thought they would be better. Like if they even somehow turned it on and won all four of those last four games, they still wouldn't be able to get better than a six seed, uh, which just makes their path that much more difficult. So that's kind of another dimension added to this that um, will be interesting to watch. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there another conference that's planning on going to something this? In the future, the Sun Belt oh, is next year. Sun Belt, yeah, it was the Sun Belt, yes, yeah. Is I, I think a lot of other conferences are going to be keeping a very close eye on how this all shakes out. And I know I've seen um, when this first was all announced over the summer, uh, Mark Adams, who was who was uh, kind of behind it all. I've I, I've seen him on Twitter a, a few times, kind of uh, interacting with people and kind of uh, highlighting exactly what you said, Russ, that. It's not necessarily all about the second fit. It's it's as much about improving the seed, um, right? So that's as you said, that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, and that's just as important because obviously, the better your seed, the more likely you are to win a game. And every win you get in the NCAA tournament is a significant amount of money for your conference. So it's definitely worth it if you're looking to maximize. Um, your opportunities to get a couple more bucks. I have a, a trivia question. If you guys, I don't know if oh. it's that if it's that time of day. Well, it's, it's that time. Let's okay. play the trivia theme song. There it is. Wonderful. <laughs> um. So we talked about a Chris a Clemens uh, this evening and how, while he is he is very efficient, he's also a, a very high usage player. Um, he he has thirty seven percent of the uh, possessions for a uh, Campbell. Um, that is third third highest usage rate in the uh, country. Can you guys name the uh, two players that are above him? I'll give you a hint that they are both mid major players. Uh, John Morant is not one of them. Is Justin Wright Foreman one of them? He is not. Okay. Is it? Is it that Jackson dude from uh, UTSA? He's in the top ten. He's number eight. So that's a great guess, but it's it's not him. Oh god, I'm trying to All think right. of another Antoine Davis. That was I thought you were going to say that would make nine. sense. He's okay. number nine, so it's, he's not one. I will. Uh, this is not. This is there is a what? freshman. There is a freshman. A freshman. Who is number one. Oh, and uh, a senior is number two. The and I cannot pronounce from, the name of the. I cannot pronounce the name of the freshman. So from uh, right. Northridge. Mm-hmm. Lamine oh, uh, Diane. I don't know. Yes. Is it is yeah. it Lamine or Lamine? Lamine Diane. Oh, yeah. he, Kyle. <laughs> he was the answer to a trivia question I posed on Twitter like a week ago. 
There you go. Uh, so, so he's what, number uh, one. What conference is the other guy in? It is the Big Sky. Oh God! Oh, <laughs> hell if I know. But it's not. It's not that far west. So northern that, Colorado. That's not, yeah. It is a good call. Right? It is northern Colorado. I will Jordan go with northern. Davis. Oh, okay. His Jordan name. Davis. Jordan Davis. But I'm going to give that to you, Russ, because you got the score. Right. Hey, in northern Colorado literally just tweeted a highlight of his, like right now. Oh, it just came up. They're that's listening amazing. live. Jordan Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for everyone who, t- who tuned into the live show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, the first, po- the first podcast that I ever did with you, and it was just the two of us, was live. And we did yeah, have. We uh, had a caller. We had a caller. We were like, we were like, shout out to Mark Gump. What the hell is this? Should we bring it back? Yeah, we should. We should bring it. If I knew how to, just drop his drop a Zoom link on the TL. Yeah, we didn't even realize that we were having uh, that we could have callers until Mark called in. And speaking of Mark Gump, uh, Monmouth out of nowhere. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they started zero and twelve, and now they are nine and four in conference. Alone in first place in the MAC, that is a bad, bad conference. How crazy Ooh, would God, it be yeah. after after all the stuff that they've gone not not gone through, but all the you know interesting yeah. seasons they've had the last the last handful of years? If this is the one that that, that they finally get, <laughs> that would be hilarious. They when like they should have been an at large team. Yep, was it two years ago? Yep. Uh, that would be hilarious. The team that starts 0-12 is the one that makes it. Well, if I that mean, happens... They're, they're like a whisper away from being a 300 a Ken Palm team. Yeah. They're a, a 291 right now. They're knocking on the door. If that happens, I have great news for Mark Gump, and that is we will be in Dayton, and we will see them because that we is will. where they are headed. We will. All right, everybody. Uh, just a reminder, if you enjoy the Mid-Major Madness podcast, be sure to rate it five stars write nice things in the reviews for us uh it's always appreciated and it helps us out a lot uh for greg mitchell and chris shooty i'm russ steinberg thank you for listening to the mid-major madness podcast we will talk to you again at the top of next week